Oh, thank you, Joe. Thank you, Jemima, for reading for us. My name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, I'll warn you uh, up front, I've been a bit crook through the week. I'm all good. I'm all fine. But this morning as I preached, I got the tickle in the throat and uh, almost had a few coughing fits. So if I cough in the mic, I apologize. Uh, if, if the sermon sounds really somber, overly somber, it's because I can't be more expressive because I'll have a coughing fit. So just take that in consideration. But it's a great psalm, and I said last week, my aim with uh, us looking together at Psalm 30 and Psalm 32 tonight uh, was really that in light of God's word, we might just praise him more. Uh, So that's still the aim uh, for tonight. But Psalm 32, as we'll see, is a great psalm, but it raises lots of questions. Uh, And I can't answer all of them in a sermon, and sometimes if we get distracted answering those questions, it actually undermines the psalm and what God is teaching us. But it is one of those psalms that does raise lots of questions. Uh, If you've got questions, write them down on your feedback slip, uh, put them in the box at the end, and I'll reply to you through the week if things come up, if thoughts come up as we look at this psalm. But let me pray that God might uh, help my voice to be okay, and uh, more importantly, that we might hear him well. Let me pray. Well, Father, we thank you that you are the speaking God. Uh, We thank you that even though you did not have to, you decided to reveal yourself to us to make yourself known through your word. And we pray that this evening, as we hear your word, that we might know that it is the God of all the universe who speaks and that we might live rightly in light of that. And Father, we pray that you might just help my voice as well to hold up so that we might hear that word uh, and hear your word uh, clearly taught and understood. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, Psalm 32 has a bit of a special place in my heart. Uh, For one, as we'll see, it's just a great psalm. Uh, But for two, it's the first psalm I preached here at Snack, uh, believe it or not, back in January 2013. So exactly 10 years ago, I preached on this psalm. And it's it's memorable to me because in it, I shared a story uh, that some people here may remember, you would have been little and at 10.30 church in the school 10 years ago, uh, so you might remember. Uh, And others may have heard parts of this story over the years. But it's a story from my primary school days. And in those days when I was a younger boy, uh, I had a bit of a habit of stealing things. And uh, I mean, I say it with a smile on my face and I shouldn't, but I was pretty good at it, which wasn't good and didn't help. But when I was in the third grade, uh, there I was sitting in the class with my uh, uh, friends, my classmates, and um, we were playing a math game. And uh, the teacher had borrowed another student's watch Uh, to time us for this math game. And this is where the story might become familiar to some of you because the watch was a Casio calculator watch. And again, some of you will know, I was obsessed with those things as a kid. I I coveted them. And uh, we're playing this game at the very end of the school day. And so after the bell rang, the teacher placed the watch uh, on her chair right at the front of the classroom. And as she did that, my mind started to devise this plan of how I might make that watch mine. And so what I did in my uh, youthful sinfulness is I packed everything into my school bag. The bell had gone. And uh, I packed everything except my pencil case. I had my pencil case in my hand. And I unzipped it all the way so it was completely open. Put my bag on my back. Walked towards the front of the classroom right where that seat of the teachers was. And pretended to drop my pencil case all over the floor. So pencil case falls on the floor. Pencils go everywhere on the ground. And so I get down on my knees and I slowly get my pencils and put them back in the pencil case right next to the chair. And then snatch the watch from the chair in the pencil case. Zip it up in the bag. Walk out. Nobody knew. Nobody saw it. 
I got away with it. When I told that story 10 years ago, uh, everyone at Morning Tea was holding onto their watches <laughs> as I was talking to them. Uh, but that's not the end of the story. Because what I did in all my eight-year-old wisdom uh, is wear that exact same watch to school the very next day. And so you can guess what happened, right? The kid who owned the watch saw it on my wrist. And uh, I wouldn't confess that I took it. I just, I just plain lied. I insisted it was mine. I said to the teacher, no, it's mine. I got sent to the principal, no, it's mine. I, uh, I had some dirt on my older sister, so I got her to lie to the principal to say it was mine. Uh, if ever you want to be convinced that humans are sinful from a very young age, let me tell you more about my childhood. But uh, I, I just didn't want to confess. Because if I confessed that I stole that watch, I knew what would happen. I would be in massive trouble. Not only at school, but also at home with my parents, which is what I feared more. These were the days before politically correct parenting. I was busted if I got caught. And I tell you that story because we can all be like that. We can all be like that. Perhaps not to the extreme of my story, but all of us in small ways and big ways, we fail to confess wrongdoing and we keep silent because we fear the consequences. We know from experience, when you confess that wrongdoing, there's punishment, there's trouble, there's, there's consequences. It's why miraculously, when I ask each of my four kids, you know, who stole that last biscuit? All four of them say, oh, I didn't do it. All four of them, they just remain silent. They take after their mother, obviously. But you see, what we do is what they do. We, we know from experience, you confess, you get punished. So we remain silent. We, we keep it to ourselves. But that's why Psalm 32 is such a special psalm, because this psalm teaches us that those who confess are blessed. Those who confess their sin are joyful and forgiven. And so with that self-incriminating introduction, let's look at this wonderful psalm. Make sure you've got a Bible there. If you don't, again, you really, really need one. So stick your hand up if you haven't got one, and someone out the back will bring you one. Uh, and this is a psalm, uh, as, uh, as Joe read for us, of David, of King David. And like last week, we don't know exactly when David wrote this psalm. And we don't know what event took place that caused him to reflect and, and pen this psalm. But in this psalm, David is reflecting on a time when he was silent before his God. And this is point one on your outline, David's silence. See, so look at me from uh, verse, one, uh, verse three of the psalm. Look from verse three. Verse 3, Psalm 32, verse 3, David writes, When I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand, that's God's hand, was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. And we know from the rest of the psalm that David was silent before God about his sin. And again, he was silent as someone who belonged to God. So this isn't a picture of someone who doesn't know God yet. This is someone who knows God, follows God, and yet at this point in his life is silent before God because of sin. And again, we don't know exactly what that sin is, what sin David had in mind. Uh, traditionally, people think that David's uh, sin here is probably his sin with Bathsheba. Uh, so, so remember, you know, whenever, if ever you, you doubt how bad coveting eyes can be, do you remember what David did? He, he, he watched as this woman was bathing on her rooftop 
and he lusted after her. He coveted her. So he went and had adultery with her, and then uh, she fell pregnant. And so what did David do? Because he wanted to hide the whole thing in his sin. Well, then he went and got her husband murdered, so no one would find out. It actually wasn't uh, his boy, his, uh, his child. It was actually David's. So it could be that particular sin that David has in mind, his adultery and his murder. But it could just as well be some ongoing sin of David's life, that, that David was in a mode of living that he knew was not very godlike, that he knew that that wouldn't please God, and yet he nevertheless wanted to continue living in that sin, and so he was silent before God. But notice what the silence meant for David. So look again at verse 3 and 4. Because of his silence, his bones became brittle from his groaning, and God's hand was heavy upon him, and his strength was drained. And so his silence brought misery, and it brought him anguish. And we're not told exactly what that looked like for David. It could have meant some sort of physical illness or some sort of anguish, or it could be that he felt the mental weight of guilt because of his sin. And so that made him feel physically ill. Uh, But either way, his silence brought him nothing but misery. And worse than that, his silence brought the hand of God against him. And that's the first thing we need to learn from this psalm. To be silent before God is foolish. And it's foolish for two reasons. Uh, For one, it's it's like Adam before God in in the garden. Have you ever kind of thought and stopped about how Adam and Eve behaved in the garden. You see, Adam knew that God was the creator. He knew he'd made everything. Adam was there. He saw as God put him to sleep and had taken the rib out of his side to make Eve. Uh, Adam knew how great and powerful God the creator was. And after Adam sinned, after he ate and after Eve ate, what did Adam and Eve do in all their wisdom? What did they do? They, They were in trouble. They knew they did the wrong thing. They knew God wouldn't be pleased. And what did they do? They hid. Now just imagine it, Adam saying to Eve, Hey, Eve, I know we're in trouble, but I've got this really good plan. I've got a good idea. Surely the all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful God who, who, who made this garden that we're in will never find us hiding in his garden. Let's go hide. It's foolish, right? It's the child that says to their parent, No, I, I didn't take that last bit of chocolate, I promise. And they've got you know, chocolate all over their face. And we can laugh and we can mock at that, but that is what it is like when we're silent before God. That's that's what it's like when we're silent about our sin before God. He knows. Whatever it is that we do, we've done, or will do, God, God knows. He sees it. It's foolish to be silent before him. And for two, it's foolish because then the guilt and therefore the judgment stays with us when we're silent before God. I do think that the groaning and anguish that David speaks about there in verse 3 and 4 is his misery because of his guilt of sin in being silent. And can't we all relate to that? You know that, that thing that, that you know, perhaps you did or said and then the trouble it caused? And yet no one knows the part you've played in it, but, but, but you know, and you feel the guilt, and it niggles away at you to the point where you maybe feel a bit physically ill because you know and nobody else knows, but you did it, and you know you did it, and said it, and you see the trouble. And in this psalm, the guilt of that sin is actually against God. 
You see, to be silent before God is foolish. So let me ask, how are we going at confessing our sins to God? How are we going at confessing all of our sin before God? Because he knows it all, whatever it is. Have you been silent? Have you been hiding foolishly? And if you have, why? Think about why. See, sometimes we're silent before God because we love that temptation or that desire so much and we want it so much that we don't bring it to God in confession. We, we love it so much and so we try and hide it from God and we kind of compartmentalize it away from him thinking somehow he won't know and he won't find out. And we don't want to tell him because why would I admit it? I want to keep doing it. So I'm not going to tell God, but he knows, he sees. Or maybe you're afraid to confess to God, fearing that if I bring that sin before God, well, there'll, there'll be punishment. Because our experience tells us confession brings punishment. Or perhaps we're silent because, before God because we just don't believe that our sin is all that bad, which sadly is the majority of our world. You see, one of the greatest tricks the devil has played is making our world believe that sin doesn't matter. That, oh, yeah, it's not that bad. It's okay. It'll rub over. It's all good. But this psalm teaches us that those ways of thinking, they're foolish. Not only because the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing God, whose, whose hand is heavy upon the silent sinner, is under judgment and he sees it all, but because our God is the all-forgiving God. See, look at what David does next in this psalm. And this is point two now. David's acknowledgement. Have a look from verse 5. And imagine David here. He's in, he's in the, the midst of his groaning. He's under the heavy hand of God's judgment. And then he writes verse 5. In that moment, he's reflecting on that moment. Verse 5, he says, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you took away the guilt of my sin. See, we really must marvel at just how incredible that is. It's, it's, got, it's really easy, I think, to kind of let it brush over us, particularly if you've been a Christian for a while. Forgiveness of sins, yes, I get it. It's great. It's good. We've got to be careful. We can't let it brush over us. We need to marvel at this. Whatever it is that David had done, whatever it is that he, that he kept silent and kept him up at night, that, that made him feel the guilt so badly that he was physically affected, Whatever it is, the moment he confesses it, God takes away the guilt of his sin. And isn't that just backwards to how our world works? It's backwards to how things usually works. Usually, confession brings punishment. You see, what did I do? I acknowledged my sin hesitantly and, and eventually didn't conceal the fact that I stole that kid's watch. And what happened to me? I got busted. Punishment. At home, at school, but here in the psalm, confession, it brings forgiveness. So we've got to marvel at that. And you can see why David says what he says back in verse 1 and 2. Just look back, look back at the beginning of the psalm. Look at where he started with verse 1. How joyful, says David, is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is the man the Lord does not charge with sin. 
You see, if we don't marvel, it's because we don't understand that what David deserved was punishment. And what we deserve by nature is punishment. And if we don't marvel, it's because we don't grasp that God is pleased when we acknowledge our sin to him. No matter how wretched that sin is or how fickle, no matter what sort of deepest, darkest secret you've got that you haven't said to anyone, you can bring that to God. Even if it's just a word in haste that kind of slipped down and was a bit silly, you can bring all those things to God and he's pleased to acknowledge your sin and forgive. And you can tell again that David marveled because what he does next is he invites everyone who listens to do the same. Look at verse 6. So verse 6, David has come to his senses by this point. He'd acknowledged his sin. And so now he says, reflecting on that moment back then, verse 6, he says, Therefore let everyone who is faithful pray to you at a time that you, God, may be found. In other words, given that God is the God who forgives, that's who he is, He's the God who covers sins and does not charge with sin. Then pray to him then. Speak to him. Because now is the time of forgiveness. Now is the time to seek God in your sin. And you've seen the alternative. You've seen what it means to be silent. Bringing, being silent, well, that brings judgment. And being silent for all eternity, well, that brings eternal judgment. And so the point, it's really simple in this psalm. It's acknowledge your sin. Pray to God. Tell him with the affection of a child to their mother all your grievances and all your worries and all the wrongdoings that are in your heart and then find forgiveness, find joy. And look at the blessings that come for those faithful who pray and confess to God. And this is point three now. And uh, we won't look at detail uh, uh, at these verses, but just look at verse six and seven. You see, what happens for the faithful who come to God in confession and pray? Well, the faithful, they're assured of refuge and protection and deliverance. Look at verse 8. For the faithful who pray and don't remain silent, well, God instructs them on the way to go. He, He counsels them away from that way of sin because he's with them. And he gives them counsel because they relate with him, have a relationship with him. And verse 10, the one who trusts in the Lord... Well, the Lord will have faithful love surrounding him. You see, this is really a a no-brainer sort of psalm. See, David is putting to us two different ways of living. The way of silence with misery and guilt and the heavy hand of God's judgment and in the way of confession with its joy and forgiveness and promise of blessing, and most importantly, a restored relationship with God. So you can call him Father. So he knows you and you know him. And so I want to finish uh, with a few reflections for us today. And uh, my main question for us is this. Do we share David's joy in this psalm? Because that's, that's the main thing this psalm is teaching us. It's teaching us the joy of forgiveness. This is one of the parts where our Bible translators get it right. The joy of forgiveness. That's what this psalm is about. And so can I ask you, do do we share that joy? Do you share that joy? Uh, If you're anything like me, your answer might be sometimes. Uh, Or a little. Or your answer might be maybe not as much as I should. 
Or maybe for you, as you hear this psalm and hear of forgiveness, your answer is, yes, I share this joy. And if so, praise God. Or you could hear this and you could be a bit of a, actually, no, it doesn't bring me joy. But as you read this psalm, you can't miss David's joy. Why is it that David is so joyous in this psalm? Well, it's because he knew what it meant to be unforgiven. And I think this is where we need to start if we're to begin to understand this psalm. Do we know what it means to be unforgiven before God? Because that's the alternative. Joy of forgiveness, well, the alternative is unforgiven. And I carried out a, uh, a very dangerous exercise as I wrote this sermon uh, during the week. I spent about 10 minutes or so just thinking through the ways in which this week alone, this past week, just thinking through the ways that I failed to love God with all my heart and all my mind and all my soul and how I'd failed to love others as I should. And as I spent those 10 minutes, I thought about those moments that I had of selfishness through the week. Uh, the times I yelled at my kids a little too easily, which uh, is exponential as you get to the end of the school holidays. Uh, I thought about those unkind words that I spoke, let alone the unkind words I thought about. I thought about my laziness in not being the, the sacrificial husband to my wife that I should be. The moments of complaint that I, that I spoke, even though I didn't really have a right to complain at all. I thought about the lack of times I thanked God for his goodness to me, uh, the prayers that went unprayed, the praise that went unsung, the coveting of my eyes, the lusting of my heart, the greed in what God has given me, the grumpy moments, the angry moments, the frustrated moments. And with many of those things, it's not just one moment of those things. There are many moments, and all that is only one week of my life. And I only spent 10 minutes coming up with that list. Imagine if I spent an hour reflecting on my week and the way sin was at work. And as I think of those moments and as I think of how God created me to love him and glorify him and created me to love others, the only conclusion I can come to is, what a wretched man I am. What an expert sinner I am. And with all confidence, I can say that if you too spent 10 minutes thinking through your week and listing down those things which you have done, which you ought not to have done, and those things that you ought to have done that you did not do, well, the only thing you could conclude as well is how wretched I am. And then imagine a lifetime worth of sin. You see, no wonder when, when Jesus tells of that parable of the debtors in Matthew 18, he describes the debt owed as hundreds of thousands of years of labor to pay it back. And the point's really simple Jesus is making. It's unpayable, the debt. You can't pay it back. You see, to be unforgiven before God is to bear the guilt of all our sin. To be unforgiven before God is to face the eternal punishment for our sin. It's to have that heavy hand of God in judgment against us always. That's what it is to be unforgiven. And that thought should be unbearable to us as we know what eternal judgment means, as the Scriptures tell us. And it should become even more unbearable when we remember that we're powerless to do anything about that, that sin. It, it's a debt that none of us can pay. We cannot pay the sin of our own debt. 
And just think of David even. If, if David is in this psalm reflecting on his adultery and his murder, he's powerless to do anything about those things. He had adultery. He slept with Bathsheba when he shouldn't. He can't undo that. He killed Uriah, her husband. He can't undo that. He can't raise him back to life. David is powerless to do those things. And he's liable and he's deserving of death. And yet, when he ceased his silence and when he came to God in confession and he sought God's forgiveness for his sin, God forgave him. And that's why David is so joyous in this psalm because he knew he deserved none of it. Because he knew the punishment that he was spared. He, he deserved death and judgment. And his relationship with his creator God was now restored. He could again speak to his God and relate to him rightly. And while David didn't know it at the time, all his sins were forgiven. All his sins were paid for in full because of Jesus. Because God, a thousand years into the future, beyond David, would send his son to deal with David's sin so that he might be forgiven. You see, it's only as we remember what that means for us to be unforgiven and remember the debt of our sin that we cannot pay and the facing of God's judgment that we deserve because of that sin. It's only then that we can begin to understand how joyous it is to be forgiven. All those moments of selfishness, all those unkind words, the coveting, the lusting, the prayer and praise and thankfulness that we failed to give to God, Jesus died to forgive us all those things. So many sins, such an unpayable debt, such a hopeless situation, paid for by Jesus in full. How joyous, right? Praise God. Do you see? Why would we remain silent when we can come in earnest confession to God and he's pleased to forgive? And not only is he pleased to forgive, he justly forgives you because Jesus died for your sin. It's just. It's been paid for. See, the old hymn writers, and I'll finish with this, the old hymn writers, they got this right when they penned their hymns. And you'll know these hymns. Uh, you know, famously, we sing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And I find that hymn uh, quite incredible because it's very famous. Lots of people in our Western world know that's, that hymn and they sing it. I wonder if they know what they're singing when they say, saved a wretch like me. Sadly, I don't think many people believe it, but it's Amazing Grace. Or another one of our hymns that we sing here, when I think that God... His son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. And that great old hymn of Charles Wesley, and some of you might not know this, but it's a great hymn. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me. For me who caused his pain. For me who him to death pursued. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Did you see? When we think of all that God has done in Jesus, his son, how can we not then sing along with David? Sing along with the beginning of this psalm. How joyful is the one 
whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is the man the Lord does not charge with sin. Praise God. Let me pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your kindness and for your mercy that you would even think about saving wretches like us, and yet you have in Jesus your Son. Please help us, Father, to be those who bring our sins in confession before you, who know that you are pleased when we confess to you, and we pray that we come to you in true repentance, with earnest hearts, and that in your kindness you might transform us to be more like Jesus, your Son. Praise you, Father, that in Jesus you forgive us. Amen.